Villas Grace Church. Building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know him, to grow in him, to go with him. I believe another round of applause is deserved by everybody who participated this morning. We are in a sermon series that we just began a few weeks ago, Galatians, with the tagline, Freedom from Sin is Found in Jesus. Or we could say, Galatians, a defense of God's grace, for it is by grace we've been saved through faith. Now that comes from the book of Ephesians, but Paul does a magnificent job of laying out his case to defend God's grace. Before we get any further this morning, let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we transition from singing songs, uplifting your name, to now opening your word to proclaim your truth. I pray that we can allow these verses to be an encouragement to us as it pertains to our standing with you as children of God. We pray this in the name of Jesus who makes this possible. Amen. Well, some of you history buffs may understand why you see this image. You'll understand who Benedict Arnold is, and maybe you would understand if you truly know a thing or two about Benedict Arnold, the reason why at the bottom of the image it says, an original American renegade. An original American renegade. And for those of you who do not know who Benedict Arnold is, Allow me to explain. See, Arnold was a highly skilled leader. There was no question about his ability to lead men, especially in battle. But with that being said, he rose through the ranks rather quickly during the American Revolutionary War. See, he obtained the rank of Brigadier General of the Continental Army. However, he would later be overlooked for future promotion. In fact, he was overlooked by about five individuals, history tells us that were actually less qualified than Benedict to receive these promotions. And this left Arnold with some resentment, and it continued to grow. Also, around this same time, he had acquired a substantial amount of debt. See, eventually Arnold was given the command of West Point. It wasn't given the promotions that he thought he deserved, but he was given the command of West Point, which eventually, which was at this point an American fort, but it became what we know today, the U.S. Military Academy. But in 19, or 19 I want to say, but in 1780, three years prior to the end of the American Revolutionary War, we start to find out why Benedict Arnold was an original American renegade. See, he reached out to the head of British forces around this time, so he had to get in contact with Sir Henry Clinton to see if he could hand over West Point to the British. He had just been given command of this American fort, and now he wants to just divvy, just lay it up into the hands of the British army. But he wanted to do this in exchange for money. After all, he was in debt and he was growing resentful for being passed up for these prior promotions. Eventually, Arnold had the opportunity to go from meeting with Sir Henry Clinton to Major John Andre, 
where the two made a traitorous pact. However, this pact was foiled after Andre from the British Army was caught, captured, and killed. And then Arnold fled later to Britain, their side of the army, and decided that he was fit to lead troops. The British Army said so as well. Now he becomes a traitor, so he leads British troops against American Continental Army troops in the states of Virginia and Connecticut. Arnold eventually moved to England where he died in 1801. See, he not only denounced his American citizenship, but he also traded, he was a traitor against his own army. Arnold was an original American renegade in far of the sense of our short history here on this earth. See, when you're a renegade, that actually has some consequences to it. But the reason being, sometimes we think a renegade's a good thing, but it's not. It's not good to be a renegade. See, a renegade is really a deserter. A renegade is somebody who betrays someone else, especially their allegiance to a cause or to a group of people. And when he became a renegade, when he betrayed his own people, he had no defense for his actions, which is why he had to flee the United States and end up in England. Church, did you know that the Apostle Paul was considered to be a renegade too? He was accused of being a renegade. He was accused of being a deserter. He was accused of betraying his allegiance to the gospel, a.k.a. the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. His allegiance to the good news of Jesus was in question. However, there's a stark contrast between Paul and our example here with Benedict Arnold. See, Paul could prove that he was not a renegade. In fact, that's precisely what he does here in the beginning of chapter 2 of the book of Galatians. So if you want to turn to Galatians chapter 2 in your Bible, feel free. We will have all the verses on the screen for you this morning. And this is going to bring us to the title of our sermon as well, because the title is this, Proof Positive Gospel Part 1. What we're seeing here is Paul's Proof Positive Gospel, just the first section Verses 1 through 10 in the chapter 2 of Galatians. Last week, as we finished chapter 1, Pastor Jared did a magnificent job encouraging us in the fact that the gospel message is, in fact, from God Himself. However, it can be spread through unlikely sources, and that's an encouragement to us now, isn't it? We were also careful to observe that the Apostle Paul was a servant of truth. So today you're being told from the outset that he's a renegade, but last week we were told by God's word that he in fact was a servant of truth, all because he was chosen by Jesus and changed forever. Just like us. We've been chosen by Jesus to be changed forever. Today we're going to see how Paul's preaching of the gospel is in fact proof positive. Basically, we're going to see how he preaches the exact same Jesus as all the other apostles, because at the end of the day, that's what's going on here. The apostles in Jerusalem 
were preaching the same message that Paul was preaching, but there were those at that church in Jerusalem saying, ah, 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 no, Paul, he's a renegade. He's deserted the gospel. He's not preaching the true, authentic gospel. So let's get into the text, and let's put these ten verses to the test of Paul's proof-positive gospel. Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel of the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Amen. So as we keep in mind that Paul's being accused of being a renegade, and we understand what he just laid out here, his defense of what he's actually preaching and teaching, why he has the authority to teach the gospel. Let's think about that as we look at these verses into one simple sentence. And this is our main idea for this morning, and that sentence is this. The truth of the gospel is grace alone, faith alone, in Jesus. It doesn't get any more simple than that now, does it? The truth of the gospel is grace alone, faith alone, in Jesus. See, it's not grace alone in you. It's not faith alone in you. It's not grace alone in me, faith alone in me. No, it is not. The gospel is quite clear. Grace alone, faith alone in Jesus. We are nine days away from election 2020. Come on. Can we not get excited about that? Who's ready to get this one over with? I mean, as if 2020 wasn't bad enough, we are dealing with one of the craziest political times that I think I've obviously ever experienced in my lifetime, but I'm thinking it's safe to say that things are not normal. Not just with COVID, but even with our election, things are not like they used to be. Things that once were are no longer. So it is a learning experience for all of us. But we got nine days left. And hopefully, by the time we go to bed that evening, 
depending on how late we stay up, we'll know who our new president is. But speaking of elections, we have been inundated lately, haven't we? And as most of us know, candidates seek endorsements, don't they? It's a very popular thing for a candidate to get the right endorsement, whether by way of other politicians or by celebrities now. That's, that's a new one. Celebrities, are, that's actually just as big of a deal for a celebrity to give an endorsement as it is for another politician. Political endorsements are a powerful, influential aspect of our voting here in the United States, and they have a profound impact on who they endorse, the endorsee. See, for example, endorsements act kind of like cliff notes. You guys remember cliff notes from back in the day? You don't want to read the whole book, but you just grab the cliff notes. That's really what endorsements are trying to do. They're trying to act as a mental shortcut for the average Joe. A lot of us who don't maybe follow politics quite as clearly, they just kind of say, hey, this guy endorsed him. Oh, I like his movie, so therefore I'm going to vote for this guy because I like another guy's movies. That's how foolish we are. To understand the candidates' positions and policies, I just listen to whoever endorsed them. I don't really know what their positions and policies are. In fact, that's what's going on right now. We have one candidate not naming any names. We have a pretty good idea what his positions and policies are. We have another candidate not going to mention his name. We have no idea what his positions and policies are because they change with the wind. But then we don't mention how they change. It's a crazy time that we live in. It's a very, very crazy time that we live in. Celebrity endorsements can give credibility to a candidate, to a relatively unknown name, especially as they come from a known name's mouth. Church, endorsements are nothing new. This isn't new stuff. It wasn't like the Western United States came up with it. No, this is nothing new. In fact, the Apostle Paul had a few endorsements of his own. And he begins chapter 2 by reminding his audience of his celebrity endorsements. So, who were Paul's celebrity endorsements? The Jerusalem apostles. And we get a glimpse of this in Paul's writing here in verse 1 and 2. And we're doing things a little bit differently. We're going to look at verse 1 and 2, and then we're going to skip and look at just verse 6 and 9 after. But now, let's keep in mind as we look at verse 1 and 2 that not only was Paul's gospel authority questioned, but he also was considered to be a renegade. And we see this clearly in our first verse in the text. By those who oppose him in Jerusalem are saying that he's a renegade. See right here where it says, it's going to be on your screen if we can get this on there for you. See where it says, then after 14 years, Paul starts off by saying, then after 14 years. See, this indicates that, not, that it's not like Paul just 14 years ago visited this church. It shows that over a 14-year period he had been visiting this church in Jerusalem. However, this time he brings along two friends. He brings along Barnabas and he brings along Titus. See, Barnabas was an early convert. He was an early adapter of the gospel. He was probably saved by the original apostles' teachings. In fact, Barnabas was such an original adapter, there was probably a period in his life where he may have known Jesus personally. Therefore, we can consider Barnabas as one of the Jerusalem apostles because he has a connection there. So by Paul saying, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, he's really saying Barnabas endorses me as an ambassador of the gospel. That's what Paul's getting to here. Church, please be encouraged in this fact. There's an encouragement for us in this because all believers in Jesus are ambassadors of the gospel. Everybody who has faith in Jesus 
is endorsed, and we're going to get to that. We're going to see that to be able to share the good news of salvation. So now the question becomes, why did Paul visit Jerusalem again? Our answer is right there in verse 2. He says, I went up because of a revelation. A revelation is what motivated Paul to travel. He went up due to this revelation that was actually from God. God sent Paul because he wanted him to go. He wanted him to go and unify the position of the apostles in Jerusalem between a Christian and the Jewish law. That's the issue. Because now that Christianity has come into play, what do they do with the Jewish law? Now, let's not forget that like Benedict Arnold, though, Paul was called a renegade by those who were opposing him. So allow this to be a lesson for all of us. Because obviously Paul received a revelation from God now, didn't he? God's telling him, you need to go. But there's a lesson in that for us because as he goes, quite clearly, he's being called a renegade. He's having to defend his ability to preach and teach the good news of Jesus. So the encouragement that we can receive ourselves is this. God may be calling you to share his good news with others, which is a noble task. And when he does, expect there to be opposition. It's not going to be smooth sailing every time. Now, first and foremost, we need to understand the Jewish law. Because after all, that's what Paul's uniting. He's uniting the Jews with the Gentiles. Or is he, he's uniting the now Jewish Christians with their old way of thinking, with the new way of thinking under Jesus. So during this time period, let's just keep it simple and think of the Ten Commandments. See, the Jews thought salvation was achieved by keeping the Ten Commandments in a very basic, simple way of putting it. We Christians understand the Ten Commandments to be a little bit different because I would say as Christians, we look at the Ten Commandments not as things that we can do in order to receive and earn our salvation from God, but rather we look at the Ten Commandments as benchmarks of how sinful we truly are. See, the Ten Commandments should remind you of your inability to keep any of them, which is why we need Jesus because we are unable ourselves. See, no matter how proficient we are at abiding by the Ten Commandments, we still come up short and we still will always need Jesus. Now, still considered to be a renegade, this Paul, the Apostle Paul. Paul, he continues to mention those who endorse his preaching of the gospel. He says, though privately before those who seemed influential. See, this is a reference to the apostles Peter, James, and John. So now that we know that Barnabas, Peter, James, and John all endorse Paul as a bona fide preacher of the good news, we basically understand that we now have two camps. We have one camp that opposes Paul. They are the ones who claim that salvation is achieved by keeping the law, by earning your way into heaven or earning your right to receive eternal life by how you keep the Ten Commandments. But then there's another camp that endorses his preaching of the gospel, and they claim that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ. Because at the end of the day, if you think you can save yourself by keeping the Ten Commandments, you think salvation is through you alone. Now, 
Let's move on to verse 6. We're going to throw verse 6 on the screen. See where it says, and from those who seemed to be influential? This is another reference to Peter, James, Barnabas, and John. Paul goes on to say something we can be encouraged by here. He says, what they were make no difference to me. God shows no partiality. This is very important for us. See, though we were not all considered to be apostles with a capital A like these individuals who actually spent time with Jesus himself. Now they were, and this is where it can be an encouragement for us, not one was inferior to the other is what Paul's saying. There wasn't one apostle that was above the other. See, the same is true for us. Not one of us is inferior to another. We are all commissioned to share the good news of Jesus. I am no more qualified to share the good news than what you are. We need to have an understanding that we are all equal. We are all part of the same team. And you're going to hear more and more language coming from Villa's Grace that's going to mention a partnership. Because that's precisely what we want to do here. We want to partner together for the sake of the gospel. So we can be used to share Christ collectively. Now, how is all this possible with not one being inferior to another? Well, because of what God says. And he says it through Paul. Paul writes, God shows no partiality. Again, Paul continues to share his endorsement. He's defending why he's able to preach what he preaches. In verse 9, he says, James and Cephas and John, who seem to be pillars... Perceive the grace that was given to me. They gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me. Church, allow me to ask you a question. Like Paul, has God's grace been given to you? Has God's grace been given to you? The, the grace that's really the gift of faith in Jesus Christ, has that been given to you as well? Because that's what Paul says. He's saying, these other apostles, they noticed the grace that was given to me. He didn't say, well, I've done this, I've done that, I've done this, I've done that a few times, I've done this a few more times than that, and all these are good things. That's why they gave us the right hand of fellowship. No. He's saying, God gave me the gift of faith in Jesus. They perceived that I received my faith, this grace given to me is why they extended their hand out, their right hand in fellowship. See, grace is what makes a proof positive gospel. The gospel is proof positive when grace is attached and associated. No grace, no proof positive. Grace is the endorsement we've all been waiting for. Some of you have been waiting for something for you to be able to go share the good news when all along the only thing that you needed was grace itself. That's the endorsement. That's the reason why we're doing the 289. If you just come and listen to a sermon and then leave, and don't really engage throughout the week with other believers or with God's word or in prayer. You're spinning that hamster wheel 
round and round, chasing your tail. See, if we don't understand the basic fundamental truths of the gospel, the fact that our salvation was a gift given to us first and foremost, we're never going to be effective in sharing that faith. We're going to be influenced by individuals who look to come into the church to rob, steal, and destroy. If we understand grace and why God has given it to us, and why he has the right to give this grace to us. That is the only way that we can move forward together as partners in the gospel to reach others for the sake of Jesus so we can share his good news. See, this isn't being done for us to be empowered individually. One of the things that we spoke about this morning in our 289 class was this. Anybody preaching from this that uses verses, but it's only for you to feel empowered, is not doing you any favors at all. In fact, everything preached from this book points to Jesus. Therefore, everything that we teach from either the pulpit or any class setting that we have or any discipleship moment that's associated here with Villa's Grace should be done so, so your relationship with Jesus is improved. It's not for you to improve your lifestyle. It's not for you to achieve a certain amount of success or have some positive thinking as you go about your merry way during the week. No. It's done so you can grow closer to Jesus. So if we know that we've received the proper endorsement of grace, we need to look at a few ways to take advantage of this endorsement in order to effectively share the good news of Jesus because we can all get started as we leave here today. I just want to give you five things that we can do that are very, very easy for us to share the gospel. And you're going to notice something about this really quick. You can start off by just being kind. You can start by just being honest. Be respectful. Be a good listener. Be the byproduct of grace. Live in such a way that you're showing people that you live from grace, not for grace. Those who think they can earn their salvation live for grace, but grace is a gift. And just remember, when we're focused on being kind, or being honest, or being respectful, or being a good listener, just those simple things, it doesn't matter who calls you a Benedict Arnold, because they're going to. They're going to say that you're a traitor, that you're a deserter, because you know that the, by doing these seemingly small things, you're not only just loving God, but you're loving others. And that is the greatest commandment. And therefore, we arrive at our first point this morning, and that point is this. God's grace has endorsed every believer to share Jesus. God's grace has endorsed every believer to share Jesus. And again, our main idea this morning is this. The truth of the gospel is grace alone, faith alone, in Jesus. As you look at this image on the screen really quickly, I want you to observe that no two people look alike, do they? No two people in this image think alike either. Well, at least I don't think they do. After all, what do I know? 
No two people in this image come from the same culture. No two people in this image see, hear, smell, taste, and touch alike. This is a diverse group of people. Church, we are a diverse group of people. We do not all look alike. We do not all think alike. We don't all smell alike, thank goodness. Joking. We were not all raised within the same culture. We do not all see, hear, smell, taste, and touch alike. However, we can all see, hear, smell, taste, and touch the exact same thing, but apply it a bit differently. And the thing in which we experience can remain true to form, but still draw a diverse response from all of us. Church, this is like the good news about Jesus. His gospel does not change. However, the audience in which he allows us to preach his good news does. And we recognize this in verses 3 through 5. So please, take a look at verse 3. But even Titus, Paul writes, who was with me but was not forced to be circumcised. <laughs> Poor Titus. Poor Titus right out the gate. Do you guys see what's going on here? He was used as a guinea pig. Paul put him out front. He hadn't been circumcised yet. The group of individuals that he was going to see, they were going to check, because that's what they did back then. And if he wasn't circumcised, there was a chance he was going to get clipped right there on the spot. Fortunately, he didn't. And I feel bad for Titus, because if he would have been forced to be circumcised, that wouldn't have been a fun day. See, circumcision was important to those opposed to Paul, those calling him a renegade. In fact, they taught that they had to be circumcised in order to inherit eternal salvation. However, Paul, as well as we know now, that isn't true. Eternal salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone in Jesus. Therefore, if Paul would have allowed Titus to be circumcised, and I want to stress the word allowed, then he would have been denying the truth about salvation. Right there in verse 4. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they may bring us into slavery. These spies are none other than Satan's henchmen. Church, that should tell us something. Attacks against the church will always come from within. Which is why it's so important that we understand the basic foundation of the gospel. Remember, every religion outside of Christianity says that you must earn your salvation, which is why it says slavery, and that's what Paul's speaking of right there in verse 4. Because as Christians, we have freedom now, don't we? Because of Jesus and what he did and how he earned it for us. In verse 5, we have a great encouragement because Paul goes on to say, to them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, for the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Can you imagine if Paul would have yielded for a moment? Can you imagine if Paul would have submitted? Can you imagine if he did not stand firm? If Paul would have submitted, if Paul didn't stand firm, then the gospel wouldn't be preserved for us today. We know this is true by how he ends verse 5. 
he says, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. The truth is that we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. That's what Paul wanted to preserve, that truth. That means something in 10 years. That means something in 100 years. That means something in 1,000 years. That means something in a million years. You know what doesn't really matter in 100 years? Who endorsed one of our political candidates in 2020? It doesn't even matter in 10 or 5. Actually, in the way in which the news cycle is running and how information comes at us, by the minute, by the nanosecond, it doesn't even matter anymore. That's the world we live in. And, and think about what I just said. Think about that. So that the truth of the gospel. We live in a day and age where truth doesn't matter. You can say what you want and nobody calls you out. You can lie through your teeth and the only people that want to call you out are those who are opposed to you. No matter what side that you're on. And they only speak to their own people. We are a nation divided. But the gospel of truth remains the same forever. Forever. That gives me great encouragement. My political affiliation doesn't. So when you do go vote, remember, you're not voting for the pastor of your church. You're voting for someone who has somewhat of a moral compass. Somewhat. And that's a great encouragement that I've received from Dr. John MacArthur recently. That's what he says. But I believe that it holds true to God's word. Now, as we observe verse 7... We recognize the diversity of humanity, don't we? Verse 7 is going to be on the screen for you here. Paul preached grace alone, faith alone to the Gentiles, while Peter and the boys preached to the Jews. See, Paul preached to the uncircumcised, while Peter and the boys preached to the circumcised. Now, this is where Paul, or this is where those opposed Paul. This is where they called him a renegade. See, they opposed Paul. Here in these verses, but Paul and those who endorsed his message are on a different level, said that he was preaching the same gospel. That's the trick. They're saying that he's not preaching the same gospel, but those who endorse Paul say, yes, he's preaching the same gospel, this grace alone through faith alone in Jesus. However, he was doing so to a different group, same gospel, different group. And we can take an encouragement ourselves in that as well. So as, as Mike comes up and we look to close out this morning, really what we're observing today in the text is this. Paul was called to preach the gospel to the Gentiles while the rest of the Jerusalem apostles were supposed to preach the gospel to the Jews. Church, who are you supposed to preach the gospel to? Who is it? Who are you supposed to preach the gospel to? We all have the exact same message to share. It's just that our audiences vary. Our audiences may just be a little bit different. So, so do me a favor really quickly. Just take one second. Take one second. Look, look left and look right. Just look at the person to the left of you. Look at the person to the right of you. 
you just looked at someone who can reach someone you cannot. You just looked at someone who cannot reach who you can reach. However, we can only do this when we trust our endorsement by grace. When we look to encourage others in their endorsement, when we submit to spiritual authority in our lives. After all, Paul submitted to God's revelation, didn't he? He started off by saying, I only came again because of a revelation given to me. We can only do this when we have the courage to stand firm. See, Paul went and stood firm, and what happened? The gospel of truth was preserved all of these years on into eternity. That should mean something to us. We live in a day and age where hard disks save files until they're sent to the trash. And we send them there early and often, just like they vote in Chicago. No, I'm being serious. They vote early and often up there. You guys thought I was joking. We live in a time where truth is hard to find. But here we see a man standing firm, obeying the Lord, commissioned by God, endorsed by other apostles, meeting opposition along the way, but he stood firm because he believed in something that actually matters in 10, 15, 20, 1,000, 2,000, a million years, something that matters forever. And what did he stand firm upon? What is it that he was standing firm upon? Paul and what he was capable of doing? His work? No. He stood firm upon the gospel of grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus. We can stand firm upon Jesus too, together. And this brings us to our second and final point. That point is this, though our audience may differ, the message of God's grace remains the same. Though our audience individually may differ, who we work with, our hobbies, people that we associate with on a daily basis, habits that we have, stores that we visit that put us around certain people, that audience may differ individually amongst all of us, but the beautiful thing is the message of God's grace will always remain the same. Again, our first point, by way of reminder, was this. God's grace has endorsed every believer to share Jesus. We are all endorsed, just like the Apostle Paul, to share Jesus. And grace, God's grace, is our endorsement to do so. And let's not forget our main idea from this morning. Super simple, and this defines the gospel. The truth of the gospel is grace alone, faith alone in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us partner together to share your good news. Lord, we want to be a church that's a beacon of hope. 
hope in an eternal future that you have provided because of the work that you have done. I just ask that we can all encourage one another to continue to pursue you as it pertains to others coming to know you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com, or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.